Good morning. My name is Brad, and uh, welcome to the gathering of the church this morning. Uh, we get to be the church every day, uh, Sunday through Saturday, or you can say Monday through Sunday. It all just depends on how you begin the week. Uh, but we get to live as the church every day. Uh, but on Sunday mornings, we gather together to remember the resurrection of Jesus, to celebrate that really good news, uh, and then to be equipped to, to know that we are loved, but also equipped to love uh, the people around us uh, and to live life in our missional communities. Our church is made up of these little communities called uh, missional communities that get together throughout the week, uh, both to learn how to love God uh, and follow Jesus, but also learning how to love one another and love our neighbors. Each missional community has a specific uh, people that they're trying to love through word and deed and share the gospel with. Uh, and so if you're new here, uh, welcome. And if you're wanting to know more about what it is that we do around here, come and talk to me or Trip or anybody up here could answer very well. Uh, and then at the end of the summer, we'll actually have a class called Soma Basics, so you can look out for that on what it means to be part of this church. Uh, just one little uh, quick uh, thought, sort of announcement about uh, who we are as a body. The last uh, eight or ten weeks, we've been talking about Proverbs, and something that's come up a lot as we've talked about guarding our hearts, even living in marriage and parenting and things like that, is uh, the need for uh, shepherding or for the Holy Spirit to actually counsel our hearts. And so I just want to take a moment as an elder to explain how we view uh, shepherding and, and soul care within our body. Uh, so listen up. This will be great. Uh, the, the very beginning, sort of, uh, you might even think of this as the dental flossing of your soul, uh, I believe at least, is to be part of a community of people that are trying to learn how to love Jesus and love one another really well. So being part of a missional community is probably like step one uh, of having others around you that can speak the truths of Jesus, can listen to you, can share your burdens, all of those things. And the thing is, is that they're not as good at it as you are, or they might be better at it than you are, but it's that the body of Christ, because of the Holy Spirit, has the power to care for one another. So that's probably like base level uh, reality of how we care for each other's soul. Uh, we also have, uh, within those missional communities, DNA groups. Uh, DNA groups are uh, small groups, like three or four guys or three or four girls who get together uh, regularly to do what we call discover uh, nurture and act, where each time we get together, we're looking to the scriptures. What does Jesus say? What does the, what does our God, creator of the, you know, universe say to us in the scriptures? And then how do we uh, repent and believe and find healing in the scriptures, in the gospel, uh, of Jesus? And then how do we walk in obedience in that? That's what the act is. Uh, and so those DNA groups are actually a, a whole nother deep sort of level of how we care for one another's soul. It's where we really b truly begin to live like a life on life where we see each other for who we really are, but also point each other back to Jesus. Uh, beyond that as well, uh, we are a church that's uh, not just led by elders, but cared for by elders. The, one of the primary roles of an elder is to shepherd and care for you, the, the, the people, the congregation, and that you could meet with us uh, to talk about things that are coming up in your missional community or in your DNA group, and, and we can talk through uh, and care for your souls, uh, help you uh, see the gospel even more clearly. We can come to your DNA groups even and care for you in that way. We also have several uh, other faithful uh, men and women in the church who can shepherd 
uh, and care for you in that way as well. And so you can talk to your missional community leader and get connected to those folks. Uh, all the while, they're going to be pointing you back towards your missional community and your DNA group. So one of the profound things that we think is that... Uh, to get your heart cared for or to have your soul cared for isn't something that you we outsource to this sort of outside body where we can go and be anonymous and then we live life in community as if everything's okay. Uh, though there are times where we are uh, so stuck, so struggling, that uh, counseling is really good. Uh, that sort of soul care is really impactful. And we believe that that can actually happen uh, like side by side uh, within the church. That we can, uh, there are people that we can refer you to. They're really good uh, people that will remind you of the gospel, that will care for you as a whole person. Uh, and that even as you see a counselor that we, you know, recommend to you, you could even get, uh, we would continue to meet with you though. So we're not going to just like outsource it and be like, sweet, now I don't have to talk to that person anymore. We have some professional way over there that's doing it. Uh, it would still be done, like, in our communities, uh, in DNA groups. They would be asking you, how is counseling going? Like, what are you learning? Reminding you of what's true about yourself. And that truly is, uh, coming from someone who's had counseling, uh, really the best way to go about it, um, if I could just throw it out there, strong opinion. I believe that's best. Uh, and so that's, that's how we want to see our church cared for. And those are sort of the levels and the ways. Uh, it's not like a hierarchy of like issues or problems. Uh, a lot of the times, as I was saying, that happens all simultaneously. Uh, but as elders, we you know, hold this really strong responsibility to protect each of us from lies, uh, but also to point us towards the greater truth, the, the greatest shepherd. And as CJ shared when he was here, anytime we're listening to someone and they're drawing out our hearts and they're caring for us, and we feel like, wow, that was a good question, that was so comforting, uh, that's getting a taste of what the Holy Spirit is doing in our own lives. And so those, those counselors are just uh, representations of the Holy Spirit, who is our great counselor and comforter. So anyway, that's what we believe about that. Hopefully that makes sense, uh, and hopefully I didn't, like, screw it up. Uh, this morning is a, also a special morning where we gather together to celebrate what God has done, and, uh, and we all get to share. So get ready to share something that we get to celebrate. I want to uh, read a passage here to get us going. Uh, this is one of my favorite psalms, Psalms 111. Uh, just as we yeah, get ready to share what God has done, hopefully this focuses our hearts. Uh, Psalm 111 verse 1 says, Praise the Lord. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart in the company of the upright and in the congregation. Great are the works of the Lord, studied by all who delight in them. Full of splendor and majesty is his work, and his righteousness endures forever. He has caused his wondrous works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and merciful. He provides food for those who fear him. He remembers his covenant forever. He has shown his people the power of his works and giving them the inheritance of the nations. The work of his hands are faithful and just. All his precepts are trustworthy. They are established forever and ever to be performed with faithfulness and uprightness. He sent redemption to his people. He has commanded his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have a good understanding. His praise endures forever. 
That's Psalm 111. And so this morning, we're just going to, if you would like, stand up and share uh, something that you've seen of his great work, uh, how we get together and remember and delight in his wondrous work, and we get to be reminded of that as each of us share. So I'll let us share now. Well, good morning. Thank you, Chris. It is good to be back up here this morning with you. This past month I've been in kids, and that has been a pleasure as well. It's good that we get to, as missional communities, serve the least of these, and part of that is children, and so we get to do that in our smaller communities. And so it's good to be back here speaking for the first time in our new summer digs. Uh, we're here till August-ish, until they uh, finish the work over at the other school. Then I'll get a call, and we'll move back, um, hopefully, um, unless they never finish, which is possible. I've seen that in my own house for quite a while. Um, but anyway, we've been talking about the book of Proverbs, and we've been addressing different subjects through the lens of God's wisdom. And often, as we've been talking about those things, I don't know if you've noticed this or not, but God's wisdom is very different than what the world around us or the culture around us often says is wise. Because really, wisdom is not just the smartest thing to do. Wisdom is the submitted thing to do. And so today, I want to talk about this idea of hospitality. I want to talk about hospitality and how does hospitality actually reveal submission to God? So the word hospitality um, doesn't actually appear in the book of Proverbs. So how are we going to talk about that, right? Um, But actually what you'll see is the theme of hospitality is all over the book. In fact, the book actually um, culminates with this example of wisdom in Proverbs 31 seen in a woman. And if you remember, one of the major flows through the book is really a father sitting down with his son and a father saying and teaching him, this is what to look for in life. This is how you live wisely in this. This is how you live wisely in that. And at the end, it kind of culminates, the book closes with this picture of the father saying, this is what wisdom looks like lived out in life. This is what a life of submission to God looks like in a very practical sense. And that looks like the life of hospitality. Now, I think when we think about hospitality, we often think about having people in our homes, or maybe we think about the hospitality industry, like Jess has worked in the hospitality industry where you serve people on airplanes, or you go to a hotel, or, or somebody serves you something as a, as a server at a, at a restaurant, and there's a hospitality that goes along with that. But in, in the biblical sense, the, the word hospitality actually means love for strangers, Love for strangers. And so just, it's, so it's not, it's way more than just opening up your home or serving something, serve or serving someone. It's, it's a deep love that actually impacts all other areas of life. And so God's, God's call for His people is to love strangers. And that, that we would, we would, that would, that's what it looks like to actually, can we close those doors please? Um, thank you. Um, It'll distract me. I don't know if it'll distract you, but it'll distract me. Um, someone is not very hospitable back there right now. And she know that we're in here talking. Um, anyway, so start over. God's call for his people to love strangers really means 
Um, that's what it means to submit to Him and, and to image Him. And it actually goes back to the very beginning of time. If you look at the, at the oldest book in the Bible, which is the book of Job, we see the, we see the story of this man Job, um, that God points out to Satan as an example. And, and it says Job is, is upright, who feared the Lord, and he turned from evil. And God allows him to be tested. And all these hard things happen in Job's life. And, and Job's friends come to him, come alongside him, him, and they think that Job had done something wrong, or Job had sinned, and so he's being judged for that. And, and they, they say, you must have done this, or you must have done that. And by the time we get to chapter 31, we see Job defending himself. And he goes through this list of things of how he's lived and the virtues of, of how he's lived his life. And one of the things he uses in his defense is this. In chapter 31, verse 32, he said, The sojourner has not lodged in the street. I've opened my doors to the wayfarer. So Job uses this example of hospitality as a way to say, No, I'm submitted and I'm living in the way God's called me to live. As far back as you want to go in history of God's people, one of the God-appointed duties of the righteous has always been hospitality, to love the stranger, which simply really means the willingness to allow people into your life and into your home who don't ordinarily belong there. People who, who ordinarily you wouldn't hang out with or you wouldn't care for are now invited into your life and into your home. That's what hospitality means. Perhaps maybe the, the clearest text in the Old Testament is in Leviticus. Leviticus 19, verse 33 and 34 says this, When a stranger sojourns with you in your land, you shall not do him wrong. The stranger who sojourns with you shall be as the native among you. You shall love him as yourself. For you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. The motivation here, I want you to see that, is I am the Lord your God. The love for strangers, you love strangers, for you were once strangers in Egypt. And the point is really, you were strangers in Egypt, but you're not anymore. Because I am the Lord your God. These words, I am the Lord your God, are really packed with a ton of meaning. You can trace these things all the way throughout scriptures, but really they're the, they're the first words of the Ten Commandments. In Exodus we see, and so any, any good Israelite could finish that sentence. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. I am the Lord your God occurs over a dozen times in the book of Leviticus alone. It's really shorthand for, I am God, I am Yahweh, who came into your life, came to you when you were oppressed, when you were aliens in Egypt, when you were estranged, and I demonstrated my love, and I served you, and I brought you out of that. And so for the people of God in the Old Testament, this duty of hospitality, or the responsibility of hospitality, really came out of the center of who God was. I am the Lord your God, who made a home for you. Therefore, as a response to that love and that care that has been shown to you, you treat strangers that same way. God is basically saying, I am holy, be holy as I am. Image me in this way. Basically, your values should value, um, should mirror my values. And what we see God value is actually welcoming strangers and enemies, people who have no business being in his home, into his home. 
That's what God does. See, if we don't understand hospitality, we're never going to understand the meaning of grace. See, grace is really practical. The hospitality is, is what, what God has done. God has welcomed sinners, not because of their goodness or because they were like Him, but because of His glory, He extended grace to strangers. You see, if God was to look for talented, um, virtuous housemates, people who were just like Him, there would be no grace in this world. No hospitality and no salvation. It's why the practice of hospitality is so important for us to get right as God's people. And I want to say especially here in Los Angeles. It's why all the wisdom on how to live a submitted life culminates in Proverbs chapter 31 with this example of this woman who lives in hospitality. I want to read some of Proverbs 31 for us. I'm going to get to Proverbs, I promise. Um, but, But as we do this, please know that this example of a woman is not just for a woman. This example is for everyone. This is an example of, of how wisdom is actually lived out, and we just get to see it in the life of this woman. This woman here is used as an example of someone who's, who's highly valued and who's, who's leading in, in all these ways so that others would get to see a correct picture and a correct image of who God is. I think it's actually pretty cool that, that God uses a woman here, especially in this culture where women were not highly valued. And what he's doing here, he's saying, he's demonstrating, God is actually demonstrating his heart for the stranger again. He's using a woman as an example, that, and he's actually raising her to a part of society, to a place of value where she ordinarily wouldn't belong. I'm not going to read all of this, but you can go back and read the whole chapter, but you'll see this this theme of of loving the stranger all throughout. And what you'll also see in this verses of of chapter 31 is what uh, may not be apparent, but, but you'll see it if you actually look for it, that this isn't just some spontaneous act of hospitality. This isn't just just sitting around waiting for someone to like knock on her door. She's actively and strategically planning so that she's able and she's freed up to love others with all the parts of her life. Take a look at verse 13. We're going to start there and just kind of see if we can follow that theme. Chapter 31, verse 13. She seeks wool and flax and works with willing hands. She's like the ship of a merchant. She brings her food from afar. She rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household and portions for her maidens. She considers a field and buys it. With the fruit of her hand, she plants a vineyard. And just stop there for just a second. This is a person who's wisely making sure she is prepared so that she can actually offer hospitality. She's not sitting around waiting for someone to show up. She's out willingly and diligently working, making deals, doing this, doing that, bringing money in so that she can provide for herself and for her family and for others. Verse 17 goes on and talks about this work that she puts in. She says, she dresses herself with strength and makes her arm strong. She perceives that her merchandise is profitable. Her lamp does not go out at night. She puts her hands to the distaff and her hands hold the spindle. She opens her hands to the poor and reaches out her hands 
to the needy. She loves the stranger. She loves people that are different than her. She's not afraid of the snow for her household, for all her household are clothed in scarlet. She makes bed coverings for herself and is clothed in fine linen and purple. She makes linen garments and she sells them. She delivers sashes to the merchants. Strength and dignity are her clothing and she laughs at the time to come. She opens her mouth with wisdom and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. If you read through this, you see this is a woman who's actually planning and working at the craft of being hospitable. She's making space. She's making money. She's, she's providing things and bringing in people so that she has the space for hospitality. Please understand that this doesn't just happen. This comes from a deep love that drives everything else in her life so that she can make sure that she has space and margin and create space for people to be invited into her life and into her home. Verse 20 says, She opens her hand to the poor and reaches out her hands to the needy. I want to remind us that this is one who's actually actively looking for the outsider. She is out and about. She's interacting in these ways where else she wouldn't run into this type of person. She wouldn't run into a stranger. If she didn't have love for them, I want to say she wouldn't see them either. She wouldn't see them. The truth is, we actually see what we love. We see what we love. It's, it's why if you love cars and you drive around this town, you're always looking and pointing out, hey, look at that car. Look at that old thing. Look at that one. Look at that exotic car. This past week, there was a team in from Texas, and we took some of them to Diddy Reese. And as we were driving through, this Bugatti comes through, right? And and the one kid goes like, "Look, there's a Bugatti!" Like now we've won because they were like having this contest. Who who could see like the most expensive car while they were here? Bugattis cost about one and a half million dollars, and so that's a pretty expensive car. And they're like, "We've won for sure." Um, But the things that we actually love are the things that we look for. It's why that it's why when when if you love coffee, when you see a new coffee shop pop up on the corner, you're like, oh, I gotta go try that place. It's why in a crowd of strangers you can point out your friends or pick out your kids in a crowd, because you actually love them and you think about them. She loves the stranger and she's actively looking for them so she can invite them into her life and actually care for them. What's also clear in this verse is that at the same time that she's, she's actively pursuing the stranger, she's also actively caring for those inside her home. We don't neglect one for the other. I think we need to be careful of that. It's important because there's this trap that we can sometimes fall into on both sides of this, where I'm just going to care for my family and I'll neglect the stranger, where I'm going to care for the outsider to the neglect of my family. And we need to be careful to balance both of these calls that God places in our lives. And so if we're going to image God in this way, and we're going to submit to him in this way, what is key here and what we see here in her life is she is an individual who doesn't actually live in fear. She's not in fear of what may happen. If it snows, it's okay. If this happens, it's okay. She, she, walks, she doesn't walk in fear, but she actually walks in strength, it says. She walks in, in God's opinion of her. 
In verse 26, it says that, that she's not just hospitable with, with material things, but she actually opens her mouth and she teaches wisdom and kindness. She's one who, who boldly and confidently walks in God's opinion of her and God's provision of her, and she speaks His goodness to those that she's inviting into her life. I think we really need to see this because one of the major reasons, I think, why God's people and probably people in general are not hospitable is they actually live in fear. They live in fear. What if I don't have enough for myself? What if I don't have enough for for those in my family? Or we live in the fear of someone else's opinion. What will they think of me? What will they think of my house if it's not clean? What will they think of my kids if they're not perfect? What will they think if I'm seen hanging out with them? Or what if, what if my hospitality is abused? I don't want to offer it because it may be abused. That's fear. Over and over and over again, fear, I think, creeps into our hearts. And instead of boldly and confidently walking in God's economy and God's word, we live out of fear and we close ourselves off to loving people that are different than us. They're different than us. I want to be clear here as well that this is not just an Old Testament thing. It's not just because God brought Israel out of Egypt that they were supposed to be hospitable to strangers now here. This is actually a people of God thing. And this idea of hospitality is reiterated more times in the New Testament than it is actually in the Old Testament. I want to just pop a couple verses. Hebrews 13.1 says this, Let Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. We see both pieces there. The love for the brothers and the family and also for the strangers, people that are different from us. Romans 12, 13 says this, Contribute to the needs of the saints and practice hospitality. Literally, it says pursue hospitality. This verb really here in the Greek actually applies continuous action. And so the, the command in Romans 12, 13 is that, that hospitality is not just a, a one-time thing that you invite people in, you know, for a Christmas party or, or once in a while in the summertime, but it's a con- constant attitude and practice that's part of your life. First Peter 4, 8 and 9 says this, Above all, holding unfailing your love for one another, since love covers a multitude of sin, practice hospitality ungrudgingly to one another ungrudgingly. Mm. You know what that means? It means that we're the kind of people that actually like to do it. We actually like to do it. And that, that it's not just the command to be hospitable. It's not just legalistically like fulfilling some quota with guests in your life and in your home. It's just a command to be the certain kind of person, the kind of person that that doesn't resent having to be hospitable. The kind of person that doesn't look at the extra dishes or the extra bedding and bother and grumble and complain about having to have people in your home. I want to say too, this is not just a personality trait. This is not just for extroverts or for people who are gifted in being able to host. This is a people of God thing, regardless of gifting or personality or introverts or extroverts. We are all called to love the strangers, all of us. 
We may have different capacities for that, and that's going to look different in different people's personalities and lives, but we are all called to love the strangers and show hospitalities. Verse 10 reminds us that hospitality is really a way that we steward God's grace. It's the motivation for hospitality. That as God's people, as His children, we remember the grace that we received. Ephesians 2 is clear on that. It reminds us that, that at one time, you and I were Gentiles. We were, we were aliens. We were strangers outside of salvation, having no God in our lives, having no hope in this world. But the good news of verse 13 says this, But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. You and I have been brought near. That through the cross, God actually did the ultimate act of hospitality. Because of Jesus, we are no longer strangers. We are no longer outsiders. We are fellow citizens with the saints, members of the household of God. We have a home to come home to now. Everyone who trusts in Jesus finds home in God's house. Why did God do that? Why did He send His Son to die so that sinners could have hospitality in heaven? Ephesians 1 tells us this, He destined us for love to be His sons through Christ Jesus according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace. You see, God did not just spontaneously die for us. He just didn't say, oh, you know what, I'm here on earth. Let me just do that for them. I, they need that. Let me buy. He actually planned it. God prepared for it. All of time, God has been preparing and planning. It was, he was all about being hospitable to us so that he could give us his very best, so that he could declare his glory and his grace in the entire world. It's the same reason why he rescued unworthy strangers in Egypt was for His glory and His grace. It was grace in the Old Testament, and it's grace in the New Testament. The foundation, really, of hospitality is God's unwavering commitment to the glorification of freedom and His all-sufficient, amazing grace. That's what hospitality is, and that's our motivation to practice hospitality. It comes from a memory of what God has done for us in the past and a hope in the promise of what He's going to do for us in the future. We look back and we remember that we owe our lives to an act of God's hospitality. That we were once strangers and aliens in Egypt in sin and death. Right? But God came to us in the Passover of His Son at the cross and He made us alive and brought us through the Red Sea of conversion and now we look forward to a future where God will see us safely through the Jordan and we will live in the promised land where milk and honey and we'll enjoy His fellowship forever. That's what it's all about. That's the grace and the glory of God that we remember as we think about hospitality. When we practice hospitality, what happens is we actually get to be reminded of that and others get to actually experience the joy of the already but not yet kingdom that is to come. We get to enjoy the experience of being God's conduits of God's hospitality rather than actually self-serving, dead-end cul-de-sacs. I think often in our country and what the church has become in our country has become a bunch of closed-off cul-de-sacs. 
people living in this like ultra reality of like protectionism that I'm teaching God's ways and to my to my kids and to my family by closing everything off. And they've missed the reality of God's mission and love for the stranger. You see, if we're only welcoming those who live in our cul-de-sac into our home, fellow believers or people that look exactly like me or people that think exactly like me or people that are the same age as me, we're living in this little tiny cul-de-sac. And that is not hospitality. As a follower of Jesus, if you live that way, I want to say that's disobedience and it's sin. I know that's a strong word, But that's the truth of what God is saying here. God has called His people to live in a life of hospitality where we love strangers and we welcome them in, not close them off. And if you think that this is better, you've misunderstood grace. When we practice hospitality, we get to actually experience the power of God to conquer and to remove our fears, and to remove our stinginess, and give us the power to to lift whatever psychological gravity that that keeps us self-centered away, and we get to experience the good news and the power of God's hospitality through the Holy Spirit to change us from being self-centered to a people that are hospitable, that actually love strangers, love people that are different than us, people that shouldn't be in our lives according to what everyone else around us says. We get to experience the power of God to make us a new and radical, different type of people. A people who love to reflect God's glory and God's grace. And we get to extend that in all types of hospitality in all areas of life. What an amazing grace that is, actually, of God to allow us to experience His power to allow us to experience how He works in our lives through the ways that we are hospitable and we actually love strangers. I want to stop for a minute and I want to ask some practical questions because I know that there is a lot of wisdom in this room when it comes to hospitality because I've seen many and many of you live this out. So I want to ask this question in a few areas of life. If this is true, if this is actually how God calls us as His people to live, to practice hospitality. How do we prepare? How, do we, how are we strategic? How do we lovingly invite those who are different than us into, uh, into life as a people of God? That's the bigger question, and I'm going to ask it in smaller ways. I'll repeat it so you don't forget. Um, but how do we do those things? How do, how do we live as hospitable in your place of work? How would you be hospitable in your place of work? I know it's a quiet morning, but I'm going to just sit up here longer than Brad will. (laughs) How do we live in hospitality at your place at work? Yeah, rather than like, I'm going to just go have lunch by myself and I'm going to get some quiet time, I'm going to actually think about and invite someone into lunch with me. Yeah, good. What else? How else are we, how else can we be hospitable at work? Yeah, definitely. Pursuing someone in your workplace is like, why would you hang out with them? Or like, like that's the that's the grumpy old person over there. Like, why are you hanging out with them? Yeah, good. What else? 
Yeah, it's the attitude that we, as we go into those workplaces and the people that we're around, that we actually exude Jesus and we, and we show hospitality through our actions, through our, maybe even, how about this, if you smile when you go somewhere? Smiling is a big part of hospitality. It's something I could work on. I don't smile enough, probably. That's what my kids say. Um, I guess I'm not that hospitable at home. Um, but yeah, how about, how about, yeah, good. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I think like we we can we can live in joy and kindness and all those things, but part of hospitality here we see as well is actually boldly speaking. And sometimes that's not like sharing the entire story. It's small little pieces of life that we're sharing and we're boldly walking in the confidence that like I know actually God is my provider of this job and so I'm willingly and boldly I'm going to share my thoughts on this if like it comes up in those pieces and I'm going to be waiting for pieces to spend the gospel and if that gets me fired God is still my provider. Yeah, good. How about how about as we think about this setting? How are we hospitality in this how do we how do we show hospitality in this setting as a, as a family when we gather together? Okay, yeah, looking for someone that's new, that's not a part of the family yet. I would say also it's bigger than that. It's also looking for those that's part of here that you don't know yet. And actually maybe reaching out to look for someone that's a different age than you or a different walk of life than you so that you would actually get to know them and invite them into life. Yeah, good. What else? Get here early. Yeah, I was waiting for someone to say that. Like, that's a, that's a real reality. Like, if I can say something as a, as a family, as one of the fathers of this family, like, we don't get here on time. And it actually shows what you value. We, things that we value, we're there ahead of time for we, we run in and we, we show value by the time, by the way that we get here. And, and oftentimes, people that are new are here before most of us. Yeah, that's not hospitable when we're late. Yeah, good. What else? Don't receive that as condemnation, but like receive that as like a word that like we need to work on. Yeah, we'd actually ask God to change our hearts so that we would lovingly, not begrudgingly, come to serve, whether it's kids or set up or whatever that may be. Yeah, good. Yeah. What else? What are some ways that we can be hospitable in this setting? Yeah. Yeah, we definitely need that. We need the power of the Spirit to change us in these things. How do we prepare? How are we strategic? How are we lovingly inviting people that are different than us into this gathering. Yes, we're actively looking to sit somewhere else as you come in. Yeah, good. Strategic, yeah. Yeah, definitely. We, we believe that this is not just the church, that this we don't happen one, one day a week, but actually we live that out in community all throughout, throughout the week. And so we get to strategically invite and prepare so that we can invite people into our lives and into our homes as part of the church. Yeah, good. Let's do this next question. How about, how do we prepare, how we strategic, how do we lovingly invite people that are different into your own homes? How do you do that? What are some ways? Yeah. We're actively looking for ways to invite people into our home that wouldn't normally be there. And we actually do invite them, not just look. Yeah, good. 
Yeah, it's a both and where we're caring for both of those things and blending those together and actually boldly speaking into our kids or the life of our of our home and saying, hey, you know, like you need to walk in hospitality too and teaching them that in those ways too. Yeah, good. It's a, it's a real blend of that. Yeah, being awkward, not having to have everything be perfect. Right? And also asking questions. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, love actually means thinking about others and putting others above yourself. Yeah, you can go through that whole list in First Corinthians and then think about it, apply that to strangers. <laughs> yeah, it is a challenge. If hospitality was easy, it wouldn't have to be reiterated all the time, right? And so it takes, it takes just like we see in Proverbs, this woman, she's actually actively out there. She's looking, she's interacting in different places. I think sometimes, I think hospitality, we often think it's like it has to be this other thing. Maybe it's the people that God has actually put in your life right now and the people that you're actually interacting with and around you. Um, it may mean that he's calling us into something else, too, where we actually, actually need to walk into those things. But we need to start practicing it in all those areas and be looking for those things. Good. Someone else had to hope. Yeah, thinking about people that are different than you. That they're, they're going to think, and so asking those questions is awesome. That's great, Hope. Yeah, Jocelyn, last one. Um, To use the opportunities that God presents you to be bold and speak into those things. Yeah. Yeah, that's good, Joss. I want, I want to ask this other question because I know this is looming out there. What do we do when we don't want to be hospitable? What do we do? Ask God to help us. Good. What else? Do it anyway. Just grin and bear it. Sometimes we do have to actually walk in things that, that are not comfortable for us. Yeah, but we walk in them not just trying to earn something, but we walk in them asking God to help us. Yeah, good. Yeah, good. Asking the Spirit to reveal to your heart, what are you believing? What fears am I living in? And do you actually want me to walk in this? Because it may be no, but it may just be want to be revealed something to you. Yeah, good. What else? Yeah, hospitality is not about keeping score, like, oh, they took me out to dinner, so now I've got to take them out to dinner. That's not hospitable. That's, a, that's like fair play or something. Miles? I think a lot of it has to do with whatever. Yeah, yeah, we need to remember, don't we? We need to remember, we need to be reminded, we need to confess. Yeah. Yeah, just Jesus gives that example of the Good Samaritan, right? Who actually loves the stranger, who loves someone that's completely different than him. I was going to talk about that passage, but I don't have time to do that. Um, but yeah, that's exactly what Jesus does in that parable, is he explains this is what hospitality looks like in life. Yeah. I want to say that, that as, as we think about why we don't want to live in hospitality, that, that we would ask the Spirit to remind us that we would that we would, he would call on us, that we would actually confess and repent those things, that we'd ask the Spirit to give us power to walk in his ways. I think we often need to be reminded that as servants of God, our hospitality flows from him as our king. We sang that in the very first song today. We sang about, about God being 
king and that Jesus is our king. If you look all throughout history, after, after wars were completed, um, what happens is, is the, the prerogative, that's not the right word, um, prerogative, yeah, of the conquering king um, was to invite guests to their table, to invite them into the, to their, their new place that they set up, and they would usually invite those who they fought with, those who were like them, um, and they have this kind of cul-de-sac table after they've conquered nations. And as we look through Scripture, we see a very different picture of that. It's why King David invites Methuselah, I can't even say that word, um, the grandson of King Saul to join his royal banquet table. It was such a foreign idea, it was such a foreign act of kindness that the poor guy thought he was going to be killed when he got there. We see in the story that it's a great big deal when, when King uh, Nebuchadnezzar extends hospitality to Daniel and to his friends who, after he had just conquered their nation, it was unheard of. Over and over and over again, we see in the story of God, we see this invitation to the king's table in, as an extension of sovereign grace and sovereign mercy. And if we fast forward to the book of Mark, we see what Jesus is doing. As he starts his, his, his ministry, he proclaims, the kingdom of God is at hand. And then in the very next chapter, Jesus gives a foretaste of triumphant victory, and it looks like sharing a table with the most unlikely guests. And the religious leaders of the day say, what is he doing eating with tax collectors and sinners? And after Jesus' death and resurrection and ascension, we see Jesus' followers in the book of Acts. They're found day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes and receiving their food with glad and generous hearts. I want to remind us that the good news is that the king's tables, the table has been turned. Our king has invited us to come and dine at his table as royal sons and daughters. And if you've ever thought about Psalm 23, which says, You prepared a table before me in the presence of my enemy. That's a messianic psalm. Nothing snubs an enemy that then declares that we're untouchable by taking a table and sitting down in the middle of war and eating in front of the opposing forces. Then we don't care. But it's exactly what Jesus did. And he gives us the communion table. It's no accident that he reminds us to remember hospitality as we extend and as we reach to the communion table all the time. As we approach the communion table, Jesus has invited us to share in his eternal victory through his death and through his resurrection at the table. It signals to the powers of darkness that victory is certain. The battle is over, the war is done, defeat is imminent. And for thousands and thousands and thousands of years, and even now, the dinner table is a visible reminder of division between men and women, and between people that are different than us. And I want to say, in a progressively post-Christian society, the importance of hospitality is probably one of the most strategic Ways that we actually share and submit and image Jesus in this world. People don't gather in stadiums for, for giant crusades anymore. People don't stop long enough on the sidewalk to hear you give some gospel spiel. Where are you going to have the greatest impact with the not yet believer and talk to them about the things that matter most? 
is most likely when you're hospitable and you're sitting down across the table or across your workplace or in your life and you're inviting people that don't belong there into a life with you. I want to say don't underestimate the power of hospitality. Don't underestimate the power of your living room. It's a launching pad for life and for mission. I want to read you one quote, and then I'm going to be quiet in a second here. Author Chad Asbury says it this way, God has made forks and spoons, pans and pots, plates and plates, weapons of war against darkness. God has made forks and spoons and pans and pots, plates, weapons of war against darkness. When we get to know and in the power of the Spirit and walk in the power of the King, love the stranger and invite them into our homes in ways that they've never been loved and they've never been invited to at home, we get to invite them to sit down at God's table. That's the point here. This woman isn't just doing these things so that she can be good. We see that she boldly speaks truth and kindness into those she's welcoming into her home and those that are in her home. We need to ask the question, are your meals strange to the culture around you? Are you sitting down with and inviting people into your life that you should never get along with? Are you dining with people from other races, other nations, other social classes? Are you eating food that you've never eaten before for the unity of Christ's body? Dan, you were talking about that. Like, how does the motivation of, of grace in your life actually impact how you live? How does the invitation of your life image the peace that Christ has actually provided and brought into a hostile world? Or are we living in a cul-de-sac of fear? The good news is that Jesus has brought an end to the war. He's brought an end to the fighting. The king has invited both Jew and Gentile, you and me, to his table. And we now get to strategically and prayerfully plan and ask God to reveal to you and to me to grow us in being hospitable the way he's been hospitable to us. To teach us how to use our workplace, our homes, our missional communities, our gatherings, as to reveal his new kingdom reality. The war is over, the table has been set, and we get to declare his victory when we invite people into his kingdom. Our Father, we thank you that you love us. We thank you that you are so hospitable to us that you came and made a place for us at your table, that you strategically and prayerfully planned ahead of time, that you are all about loving the stranger. You are about sharing your life with us. Father, I pray that you would mold us, that you would change us, that you would make us a people that image you well in that, not so that we would receive some new gift from you. We know we've already been blessed. But Father, that we would do it because it's the submitted way to walk in love and in grace. Father, we thank you that we don't have to earn anything anymore, but that you have already provided everything that we need. Father, I pray that your spirit would change our hearts to make us a people that live in this way, that we would live wisely when it comes to how hospitable we are with our lives and with our homes. 
Father, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.